following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. So this morning, we're in this gospel, the book of John, and uh, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 7. Uh, we're traveling through this, this gospel at a, at a fair speed and looking at uh, the life of Jesus and the interactions that Jesus has with a number of people. This morning, we're going to look at chapter 7. I want to just read a few verses at the beginning of this chapter and then set the scene for what Jesus says a little bit later on. So John chapter 7, uh, we'll start at the beginning of the chapter and read the first 10 verses. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus said to them, My time is not yet here. For, for you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After, this, he's, after he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he also went, not publicly, but in secret. Now we'll, let, we'll pause there and come read a couple of verses in, in a little while. But the setting for this uh, passage is a Jewish festival called the Festival of Tabernacles. Uh, it was one of three major festivals that was instituted in the law of Moses for Israel to observe every year. It lasts about a week. And the whole purpose of the Festival of Tabernacles is to commemorate that time in Israel's history when Israel journeyed through the wilderness for 40 years, that period of time that Biffy referred to this morning where Israel journeyed through the Sinai wilderness for 40 years as, as a pilgrim people. And so God commanded Israel that through that time, and then especially when they arrived in the land of Canaan, that every year they were to take time to remember that journey and to remember God's provision for them during that time. And so another name for this festival is the Festival of Booths, because what Jews were commanded to do during this time was to set up temporary shelters for themselves, to make little portable shelters and to live in these for the week. And this was to commemorate the way that the children of Israel lived in tents during their wilderness wanderings. They were a pilgrim people, they were a nomadic people, and so God said, when you celebrate the Festival of Tabernacles, the Festival of Booths, you make little temporary shelters for yourselves and live in those to identify yourselves with your ancestors who did this many years ago. And this festival is still celebrated today in Israel. It's, today it's called Sukkot, the Hebrew word Sukkot. But apparently Jewish people still do this. When they celebrate the festival, I think it's late September, early October, uh, they build little shelters, little temporary shelters on their roof or in their backyard, and they'll have their meals in those shelters. And they're again commemorating the faithfulness of God and His provision for them as Israel journeyed through the wilderness in this Exodus pilgrimage. And this is the festival in which this interaction of Jesus that unfolds through chapter 11 is set. Jesus' brothers want to go to the festival. They're in Galilee and they want to go to Jerusalem, which is where the, the festival took place. And Jews from all over the world would congregate in Jerusalem for the festival. 
Uh, but Jesus doesn't want to go initially. His brothers want him to go really so that Jesus would grandstand and show off and promote himself as a public figure, and he's not interested in that. That's not, that's not his agenda. That's not God's agenda for him. And so initially, he doesn't want to go to this festival. But after his brothers take off, he waits a little while, and then he goes up to Jerusalem just privately, just on his own, and he spends some time there. And after a few days of being in Jerusalem and being at the festival, Jesus goes into the temple courts, and he starts to teach. And he starts to talk about himself. He starts to talk about eternal life. He starts to continue unfolding who he is and the way that the Father has sent him. And this teaching starts to attract a crowd. And it's interesting because it's a different kind of crowd to the one we looked at last week. If you were here last week, we looked in John chapter 6 at this crowd that gathers around Jesus in Galilee when he's multiplied the loaves and the fishes. And there's this huge crowd of 10,000 or so people that gathered around Jesus. But as soon as he started talking about what it means to be a genuine disciple, what it means to be a true follower of Jesus, the crowd just dissipated. But the crowd in Jerusalem during the Festival of Tabernacles is a bit different. They're fickle from the start. There's a large group of people around Jesus. But straight away, you see, some of them are accepting what he's saying. Others of them think that he's demon-possessed. And then a third group want to kill him. They're so outraged. They think he's so blasphemous. All these claims that he's making. that They want to end his life right there. So this is a very volatile crowd. Maybe a little bit symbolic of what's happening at the moment. It's a kind of a hostile crowd in some way. And it's a very divided crowd. What Jesus says in John 7 causes a lot of controversy. And is one of the factors that starts things rolling ultimately towards his death. Now, the climax of this whole passage is in verse 37. It's the last day of the festival. It's the last day, the greatest day of this festival. The feast, the festival of tabernacles would build and build and build to this final day when there were special sacrifices offered and there was a great celebration, great day of rejoicing. The, the psalms were sung repeatedly through the day. It was the climax of the whole festival. And here's what Jesus does and says on that day. Verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now, to see the depth of what he's saying here, you need to know one other thing about the Festival of Tabernacles. During the whole week of this festival, there was a ceremony that happened each day. It was a ceremony where a group of priests would go to a pool called the Pool of Siloam outside Jerusalem. They would take a golden container and fill it with water from the pool. And then in great procession, they'd carry this water from the pool into Jerusalem, into the city, right into the temple complex, right up to the altar of the temple. And then they would ceremonially pour this water from the golden jug out onto the altar at the temple as an offering to God, a water offering to God. Now, the symbolism behind that act is directly tied to that story of Israel in the wilderness that Biffy just read. When Israel was wandering in the wilderness, what was one of the primary ways God provided for them? The water from the rock. He gave them the manna from heaven, and he gave them the water from the rock. And so in the Festival of Tabernacles, Jews would celebrate this by pouring the water out upon the altar to commemorate the way that God provided for their ancestors by giving them water from the rock to sustain them through their journey. So when Jesus stands up 
And at the, at the climax of this festival says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. He's not just pulling a random image out of his head. He's not just drawing on any old metaphor. He's directly referencing this water pouring ceremony that's been happening every day of the festival. And now Jesus is saying, God gave your ancestors water from the rock to sustain them physically. And now something much greater than that water is here. Now something far greater, someone far greater than the water from the rock is here. Now God has provided for the deepest, deepest need of humanity. And it's me, it's Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate provision of God for the deepest need of the human soul and quenches a thirst at the deepest level of our being. Jesus is the water of life. And it's a beautiful image that sits right next to that one we looked at last week. If you remember, we talked about Jesus as the bread of life. Jesus talked about himself as the bread of life. That was the, that was the point of multiplying the loaves to show Jesus the true bread of life. And he, he showed himself to be the new manna that God's provided from heaven. The new manna to provide for the needs of humanity. And now here in the very next chapter in John 7, we see Jesus as the water of life. He's the new water from the rock to provide for the needs of humanity. So these, these two ways in which God sustained his people through the Exodus journey, the manna and the water, both of them come together beautifully in the person of Jesus. And Jesus references both of those image, images to show how he is the fulfillment of that provision. He is the ultimate provision of God for our wanderings, for our journey through the desert of the present life. Jesus is the ultimate provision of God. It's a beautiful demonstration of the way that Jesus fulfills all these aspects of the Old Testament. Every part of Israel's story, every part of Israel's journey all comes to its fulfillment in the person of Jesus. And so this image of Jesus as the water of life, the living water, it speaks to the way Jesus quenches a deep thirst within our soul. Within the soul of every person, there's a longing, there's a hungering for something. Not necessarily a superficial hungering. I'm not, not talking about a, a longing for happiness or contentment or health or wealth or whatever. That, that's not primarily the level at which Jesus operates. Those are not the needs that Jesus addresses the living water that Jesus provides is a deep nourishment for the deep part of the human person, the deep need that we have within the soul of every person. There is a longing, I think, for real life. There's a longing for meaning. There's a longing for purpose and identity. There's a longing, I think, for hope. Some people may not even be able to articulate that. Some people try and suppress that or deny that, squeeze that out. But there is God. The Scripture says God has placed eternity in the hearts of people. Within the heart of every human person, there is a deep longing, a deep thirsting for something beyond just my own life, beyond just my own existence in the world that I can see around me. There's a deep hunger. There's a deep thirst. And it bubbles up at times. You see it. You see it particularly, I think, at funerals. It's interesting, and I don't mean any disrespect by this, but I've been to funerals where the person who's passed away is not at all a spiritual person, not a religious person, no real interest in God as far as anyone knows. And yet you find people saying things at funerals, don't you? 
that they'd otherwise never say. And people talk about the, the person who's passed away as looking down on us now or, or being with us or, or watching over us or they talk to the person as if they're still there. And sometimes these people that, that say these things at funerals are people who otherwise would have no interest in God, spiritual things, Christianity, anything like that. But we need hope. And we get to these moments when death comes near to us and takes someone we know. And we need some sense of hope. We need to believe that there's something more to this life than what we can see and touch and feel. We need to assure ourselves that there's something beyond this life. I think it represents a deep longing in the human heart for some kind of hope, some kind of meaning, some bigger story that we long to be a part of. And here's Jesus speaking to that need, speaking to that yearning in the soul of every person and saying, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Jesus alone is the one who can quench that deep thirst, the deep thirst of the human soul because Jesus connects us to the God who created us, because Jesus connects us to our Father, our God who made us in His image, who made us for relationship with Him. Jesus is the one who enables us to know who we truly are because we know whose we are that we're in relationship with God. That's where identity comes from. That's where meaning in life comes from, from being anchored in the presence of God and having relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. And then out of that relationship, Jesus gives us tremendous hope by revealing to us that we are part of a huge story far greater than ourselves, but one that our lives can be attached to, a story in which God is at work renewing and bringing hope and bringing healing and mending the brokenness of the world through Jesus. That's the great hope of the gospel. That's the great hope of Jesus. That's the hope that he brings into our lives. That's the thirsting of the human heart that Jesus nourishes. And the way that Jesus nourishes that, that, that longing in our heart is through the presence of his Holy Spirit. And this is exactly what John says, who's writing this gospel. As soon as Jesus finishes saying these words, John says in verse 39, by this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So Jesus is not just talking about himself, he's talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit who takes up residence in our lives when we belong to Jesus and who, who brings us to God and who brings God to us and who anchors us and establishes us in this relationship of meaning and identity where we know truly who we are in relationship with God. That's the work of the Spirit in our lives. The Spirit of God is the presence of Jesus with us in, in the absence of Jesus' physical presence. The, the Holy Spirit is the, is the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Christ. The disciples of Jesus had His physical presence during His life. Now we have the presence of the Spirit of Jesus with us to comfort us, to encourage us, to guide us and direct our paths, and sometimes to challenge us and sometimes to convict us. And, sometimes to illuminate God's word to us and help us to understand what we're seeing and what we're reading, but always to anchor us in relationship with God and establish us in relationship with Him. That's where meaning is. That's where hope is. That's where purpose is. Now, you can know all of this as a Christian, and, and you can have the Spirit of God within you, and you can be in relationship with Jesus but you can still look at all this and just long for that river of living water to flow within you again. 
because even as a Christian, you can be spiritually dry. Just because you have the Holy Spirit, just because you're in relationship with Jesus doesn't suddenly mean that you've got the sense of rivers of living water flowing within me. I think there's a lot of Christians, maybe it's you, you read this and you, and you feel like, man, you know, if the Holy Spirit is supposed to be a river of living water within me, I don't really have any sense of that. Maybe that's what you're thinking. That you don't, you don't have that sense of like a river of living water in your life that's quenching your soul. You just feel on the inside like you're incredibly dry, like your soul's a desert. You may have been a Christian for decades, but you just feel like you, your soul is just an arid desert. It's just a dry riverbed, and you don't have that connectedness to God. You don't have that sense of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You just feel like there's just this dullness there. There's just a mediocrity to your spiritual life. It's just kind of going through the motions. It just all feels very blah to you. It's not just non-Christians who need to hear the words of Jesus. It's Christians. It's those of us who have become over a period of time, spiritually dry on the inside and need to hear this promise again of Jesus who says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. Anyone, Christian, non-Christian, been a Christian for, for decades or never known Jesus at all, let anyone, anyone who's thirsty come to me. And so I just... I, I can't really do anything else than set that promise of Jesus before you and say, if that is you, you need to come to the waters and drink. You need to come back to Jesus and drink of the life that's found in him. Because here's what Jesus does when a person come, who is spiritually dry comes back to Jesus. Jesus will refill us with his spirit again. That doesn't mean he's going to give you the Holy Spirit all over again. But when a person stops drinking from the fountain... Christ promises to come and refill them with the Holy Spirit, to pour out upon you again that river of living water. Maybe that's what you need. Maybe just for that arid desert in your soul, you need to just come honestly to Jesus and ask him, Jesus, I need to be filled afresh with the Spirit. I know, I know I've got the Holy Spirit, I know I'm in relationship with you, and I know you, and I know this stuff, but I'm just, you just feel dry. You just feel so distant from God. And Jesus is saying to you this morning, if you're thirsty, come and drink. If you're thirsty, come honestly before the cross and ask Jesus to fill you afresh with his spirit, and he will do that. He will pour the living water afresh into your life. I'm not talking about chasing after emotions. You may or may not feel differently emotionally as a result of this. But it's, a, it's something far deeper that we're asking God for. We're not asking Him necessarily to change our emotional state. We're asking Him to fill our soul with the living water, to replenish us. We're asking Him to rehydrate our soul so that we are spiritually replenished, so that we're spiritually alive again, that we're spiritually nourished. It's the, it's the great promise of Psalm 23 where the psalmist says, you restore my soul. The Lord is my shepherd and you restore my soul. That's what we're asking. And I just think simply this morning, some of you may need to ask the Spirit of Jesus to come and restore your soul, to restore what's been lost and to, to allow the living water again to flow over that dry riverbed of your soul and just to come and bring some life and, and to bring some healing. And if that's you, just hear those words of Jesus spoken to you personally. Let anyone who is thirsty 
come to me and drink. The living water is here. Jesus is here. He's longing to replenish you, longing to bring a fresh infilling of the Spirit into your life to strengthen you and to empower you. But here's the work of the Spirit, and I want to show you just one other direction in which this moves. That When Jesus says this about the Spirit in verse 38, he says, Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now, there's one little word here that's very, very important. It's the word from. From. See, Jesus doesn't just say rivers of living water will flow within them. He says, rivers of living water will flow from within them. In other words, the living water doesn't finish with me. It, it, it begins a work in my heart, but the river of living water then flows from me outward. There's this outward movement of the Spirit. It doesn't end with my life, but there's this trajectory where there's a river that's flowing out from me, and it's giving life to others. God doesn't just give you the Holy Spirit to top you up. God gives you the Holy Spirit so the river would flow from within you. And Jesus, said, Jesus even grounds this idea in Scripture in the Old Testament. He says, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now, the Scripture that Jesus is thinking of here is back in Ezekiel chapter 47. You don't need to turn there, but let me just describe this to you. It's a beautiful picture in the Old Testament that comes to the prophet Ezekiel. And here's what he sees. He sees the temple in Jerusalem which, by the way, is the temple that Jesus is standing in when he says this stuff in John 7. The temple in Jerusalem, and Ezekiel sees that there's water coming out of the temple. There's water flowing down the side of the temple and coming out from underneath the temple, and it's forming a river, it's pooling, and there's a river that's coming out from the temple, and it flows all the way through the arid Judean wilderness, and it flows all the way down to the Dead Sea, the saltiest, one of the saltiest bodies of water on earth. And as Ezekiel watches this river coming from the temple, it flows into the Dead Sea and it makes the Dead Sea fresh. And suddenly, because otherwise there's no life in the Dead Sea because it's just the salt content is too high, but now this river from the temple comes and it makes the, makes the Dead Sea fresh and suddenly there's swarms of living creatures living and teeming with life in this river. And there's trees along the banks of this river. And here's how this vision of the, of the river ends. In Ezekiel uh, 9, uh, 47, 9, he says, Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh so that wherever the river flows, everything will live. Now that is a beautiful picture, I think, of the work of the Spirit. In the context of the whole biblical story, we see this as a work and a picture of the Spirit. And Jesus is standing here in the temple where Ezekiel saw this river starting. And Jesus is saying, whoever comes to me and drinks rivers of living water will flow from within them. The river begins in us, but then it flows outward into the lives of other people and everything the river touches will live. It's the idea that the river gives life the Spirit of God comes from within us by the gift of God, from within us, and it gives life to other people. This is a picture of the Spirit's work coming and touching and healing and renewing and giving life and hope and faith to people around us, 
to people in our lives, to people in our world, so that God fills us with His Spirit so that the Spirit might overflow out of us like the water in the temple and then touch the lives of other people. The Spirit is the Spirit of mission and witness and inviting others to experience the love that we've found in God. And it's so important, I think, to keep those two dimensions of the Spirit's work together, that the water of life flows within us so that the water of life would flow from within us. Otherwise, it's just a personal little trip with God, and it all just starts and ends with me. But God has always given us His Spirit so we'd be filled, so that we can extend life to other people. And this, I think, should require us to look around in our life and ask, where is the river of life within me flowing to? It's flowing within me, but where's it flowing to? And whose life is it connecting with? And in what ways am I showing life or giving life to others around me? How am I extending faith and hope and love in the ordinary world that God's placed me? Some of you know that there's a uh, certain cafe up the road that I tend to frequent quite a lot with the meetings that I have. And what I've tried to do over the years, I'm pretty sure the owners of this cafe aren't here today, so I can say this to you freely. But what I've tried to do over the years is to try and centralize my cafe meetings. And uh, rather than going to a whole lot of different cafes, try to stick with the same one. And I've done that just to try and build a relationship with the people that own that cafe. I've got to know them over time, and they've taken an interest in the church, and we have some church activities there. And it's been a good little friendship that's formed. One of the owners of that cafe has popped into shore a couple of times to see what goes on here and to see uh, how crazy we all are. Uh, we have our newcomers' coffees in this cafe every month. And it was interesting, one time we had a newcomer's coffee there and uh, one of the owners was there and he was bringing us our food and coffee and back and forwards. And then he just came and sat down at the table where we were and just wanted to listen in to what, we, what I was sharing about the church and who we were and what we believe and all that. And he just sort of plonked himself there at the edge and just, just listened and just took it in, and I think he's on a real journey. Uh, it's just one way, in, in a very small and low-key way, in which I have, to use the language of this chapter, in which I've sought to try and allow the river of life to flow out from me and connect with the life of someone else. Now, what happens with their lives and their spiritual journey is ultimately not my responsibility. That's God's work of faith in their heart, but God still causes us to be His instruments in letting the river of life flow and being intentional about connecting the river of life with the lives of other people. And it is, I think, in these really small, everyday ways that this often happens. It may be through big global mission. It may be through organized organizations, humanitarian efforts, but it may also be everyday stuff. Being intentional in conversations, developing friendships with others, hearing others' stories, drawing other people out, praying for people that you know who don't know Jesus. How are you going with that? Praying regularly, bringing names, bringing faces before God, praying for their life, that the river of life would flow to them and that God would give you opportunities to connect with them, to have meaningful conversations and interactions that would help them on their journey towards Jesus. Are there people around you that you can show some life to? Are there people that you can extend the river of life to? Kids, maybe this is you. Maybe it's school. Maybe there's people at your school, kids at your school, who are just really lonely, who are just eating by themselves at lunchtime, who don't have a lot of friends, who maybe are really sad. Could you be the one to go and sit with them? Could you be the one to go and be a friend to them? 
and talk to them and, and introduce yourself to them and just have a chat and be their friend at lunchtime because they may not have any other friends. And that's what Jesus did. That's the kind of person Jesus was. He always went to the ones who were lonely and he moved towards people who were a bit sad. And he just always seemed to look for the people that were hurting the most and he went in their direction. And Jesus asks us as his followers to do that and that's part of what the Holy Spirit does in your life is he helps you to love those kids that maybe don't have a lot of other friends. And maybe that's part of what you can do to follow Jesus and to be a little bit more like Jesus. It's letting the river of life flow from us out into the lives of other people. And we're going to sing a song in a minute if we've got time, which is a song especially for kids, and some of you are already tapping it because you know the song called There's a River of Life Flowing Out From Me. It's a great song, it's a good song, and it's right on this theme. So wherever you are in your life, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, I just want to say to you that this promise of Jesus, this invitation of Jesus is for you. When Jesus stood up and said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink and rivers of living water will flow from them. He's speaking to you. He really is speaking into your situation today. And if you don't know Jesus, you never tasted the living water. Today's the day. You don't need to be held back by anything. Jesus has done everything for you. He's just open arms inviting you to come and to give your life to him and to drink from the river of life, to drink the water of eternal life and have the deepest need of your soul quenched by Jesus. And if you are a follower of Jesus, maybe you have been for some time, but you're just thirsty today. You're thirsty for more. You're thirsty for greater depth in your spiritual life, thirsty for greater connectedness to God and a greater filling of the presence of of God. You know, one of the prayers that I pray several times a week is from Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul says, I pray that I might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that I might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And I pray that for my life uh, regularly, that I'd be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's what I long for. Maybe you long for it, and maybe today is a time for you to ask the Spirit of God to replenish and to renourish. And maybe for you it's looking outside of yourself and asking who around me is the Holy Spirit longing for me to connect with. You may be the, o- the only opportunity that other people have to access the river of life. You may be the only tributary of that river that some people ever see and ever come in contact with. So can you be intentional about allowing that river to flow from you into the lives of people around you? Let's drink deeply from the water of life. Let's let that river flow so that wherever the river flows, everything will live. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.